This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State Athletics since 2013. Thanks for joining me again on the Beaver Tales Podcast. I'm Josh Wharton. Joining me today is former Oregon State pitcher, two-time national champion, Daniel Turpin. When he played for the Beavers, Oregon State made the College World Series every single time. He played in 05, 06, 07, winning two national championships along the way. He's since gotten into coaching, and he's also a a sales associate. He lives in Newburgh with his wife and two kids. It's Elisa and his kids, James and Madison. He also became the pitching coach about a year ago at Lewis and Clark College up in Portland. He did have a professional career of his own, got drafted and played nine seasons of professional baseball. So he's using that knowledge as well as still going to school through Oregon State and and coaching. And so we talk about his playing career and all of that. Hey, one quick thing before we get to this conversation with Daniel Turpin, a quick word from Oregon Marketing Group, which is a local digital marketing agency. They can help your business with whatever you need, whether that's web design, video production, some content creation, a post online, search engine optimization. That's huge for customers to find your business, find your website, and then having graphic design, logos, branding to have on the aforementioned website. So whatever digital marketing needs you may have, uh, you work with them, get monthly plans, do whatever projects uh, you need to accomplish, uh, go ahead and reach out. They're online at OregonMarketingGroup.com. That's OregonMarketingGroup.com. All right, here is former Oregon State pitcher, a two-time national champion, and current pitching coach at Lewis and Clark. Please join me in welcoming Daniel Turpin. Joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast, Daniel Turpin up from Newburgh. Daniel, how has life been treating you, the job and the coaching and the family? How has life been treating you? It's been busy. You know, like I said, I got a full-time job and trying to coach and, and you know, I've got two kids and I'm actually still finishing my degree right now. I never did get a finish. And so I'm going to school at the same time. So I got a full plate. <laughs> wow. Are you, are you doing that school through Lewis and Clark? And what is the degree there? So I, I'm going through Oregon State. I got drafted after my junior year, so I, I didn't finish. And um, unfortunately, I didn't take the time to do it while I was playing. And I regret that now. But um, now I'm just kind of finishing on the side, taking a couple of classes at a time. And and within about a year, I'll be done with my degree and and that's mostly so I can get into to coaching full time. Um, a lot of, especially the Division three schools, you need to be able to teach a class or something to uh, to be a full time coach. When did coaching for you become that passion where you realized even if I've got a, a full time job, which you you do right now with Melitis Beverage Company, but you you want to get into coaching and doing what you got to do to to open up that door? When did you realize you know I think I think the coaching thing is what I want to do full time. Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to coach. I mean, while I was playing, uh, I was the older guy on the team my last couple of years there in Double A, and and really helped some of those younger guys, you know, with with issues they had, and um, and I, I really liked it. So when I got came to the realization, I guess that you know I, I was kind of done with my career. My wife was seven months pregnant at the time I got released. So if there was ever a good time to to kind of come home and and put that on the back burner. I think that was it. So, and then after about a year, I realized I wasn't going to play ever again and uh, called up one of my friends at a high school and asked if I could help out. And I've been doing it ever since, but 
I think I've always known I wanted to to coach, and I at first it was more of a way to just stay in the game of baseball because I loved it so much, and now it's just it's kind of a passion, same as playing. You know, I just want to get to that that higher level. And since you started as the pitching coach at Lewis and Clark earlier this calendar year. Uh, not that it's your first coaching opportunity, but uh, a new op- new job, you know, new new school, all that. Has it been what you you hoped and kind of that coaching passion that you had? You so you step into that role, and has it really felt like, yeah, this really is this is what I want to be doing, and even expand that more? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, like I said, I came on last September, so it's been a little more than a year, um, and I wasn't sure about the college coaching aspect, you know, with recruiting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I've really enjoyed it. And the only thing I can think of now that I w- would change is that I can't, you know, be there full time. Um, right now, obviously I'm a part-time guy with a, with a full-time job. Um, and I always think, God, I wish I was, you know, more I could give to the kids more time to put into all this other stuff as far as practice plans or recruiting and, and all the things that go along with it. But, you know, I'm with the time I'm given, I'm doing my best and, Coach Kazdirk is our head coach. He he runs most of the recruiting and all that kind of stuff, and he's really been, you know, helpful to me learning how to do it and have a job and a family at the same time. So it's been, you know, everything I'd hoped for, and, you know, it's kind of pushed me to develop myself as a coach now. You mentioned uh, the the end of your professional career. It it seemed like you know maybe you wanted it to go a little further than it did, but overall you did have nine seasons in the professional ranks. With how much success you did have with two national championships in college, getting up to AAA ball uh, in the minor leagues, was that difficult for you once that came to an end to realize, oh wow, I. I I'm not a baseball player anymore. Who am I? Or did, did you feel like you, you had yourself figured out? You knew what you wanted after that in, in terms of that transition. How did that go for you? Uh, it, it went okay. I would say. Um, I, it was hard to accept that I wasn't going to play anymore. Uh, I had had some offers to keep playing in the Mexican league, um, which is good, a good high level of baseball. Um, but at the same time, like I said, my wife, was about to give birth, and I didn't want to leave her for that. Um, and then the next year I got those same offers to go down there, and uh, I was kind of forced between, you know, leaving my newborn son for six or seven months and, and coming back, and I thought if I hadn't made it to the big leagues by now, um, you know, maybe this was my chance to to start a new chapter in my life. And, and it was hard to accept at first, but, um, you know, the more I – you know, got to be a father and, and got to be around my family more and, and got into coaching, the, the easier the transition got. And I, I still tell guys I could get out there on the mound today, and I, I think I threw two innings in scrimmages this fall with the, the college team and still pretend like I could do it. But <laughs> but not I don't have it quite like I used to. <laughs> not running up the, the Raider gun quite as much? No, I I, I – I brag because I touched 90, but uh, that that used to be a change-up, so I don't know how good that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you, you've got two kids. You've been a dad for about seven years now. How how has that been, the the surprises, the ways it's changed you as a person? Uh, what's that been like to be a dad for seven years now? Well, yeah, it, it's been uh, five years. It's been my son just turned five in July, so almost six, I guess, but. Um, it's been 
it's been amazing. It's been a different world, you know, where your your life kind of revolves around, you know, two two little ones instead of, you know, for a long time it was just me and then me and my wife for a few years. But um, to to get to watch them grow and, and become, you know, just these amazing little people, it's it's kind of indescribable. You know, it's it's been something that you know I always thought I wasn't sure. Um, how soon I wanted to have kids, and now that that they're here, I can't imagine life without them. It was it was just kind of something that you never think you're ready for, and then once it came, like you just kind of figure it out. And I I just love it so much. Yeah, uh, you're right. Five and two. I, I think I added the the ages, and maybe it feels like seven with the two of them. <laughs> it, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you've got you, your wife, the two kids. One, one other question on, on minor league ball, actually, since you spent nine years and to, to bounce around it. I mean, minor league baseball is a grind for anybody, let alone playing for five different organizations, going from uh, rookie ball in Scottsdale to then Salem Kaiser to Augusta, Georgia, San Jose to Fresno to Scottsdale again to Richmond, Virginia to Portland, Maine to Peoria, Arizona to Tulsa, Oklahoma to New Britain, Connecticut to Rochester, New York, and then back to New, Bur- New Britain, Connecticut. I mean, that is just a whirlwind and a tour of america what kept you going through all of those stops and bouncing around everywhere it's just competitiveness for me and it, it drives me in my work today and being a coach is just i always kind of just feel this need to to rise up above where i'm at whether it's baseball trying to get to the next level or you know work trying to to get to the next level or you know coaching trying to get my team as as good as they could possibly be and even personally rising up so um you know I, it was a grind and I think most of that movement happened within about 18 months um it was really crazy and there were times where it was frustrating but I don't think I ever considered stopping I guess I never considered quitting or, or doing anything else you know it was just it, it was part of my journey to to try to get to the big leagues and it, it was never realized, but that was kind of the, the dream, and, and nothing really ever made me waver from that. Since you and and uh, Elisa, your wife, were already having your kid near the end of your career, you must have met either sometime during your pro career or even in college. When, when did the two of you meet? So we had met in college at Oregon State, and then we started dating uh, my first professional offseason, so 2007. And then we were together through my entire minor league career and got married in 2012 and, and spent a couple of years married through professional baseball too. And, and, uh, and the timing and, and her support, it, it was pretty amazing because I witnessed a lot of guys go through it without that support system and, and through breakups and relationships because of the distance and the travel and the, just the crazy life. So I was extremely lucky and very thankful. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So you'd met at OSU. What circumstances led to starting to date right as you were leaving and bouncing or going all the way elsewhere from Corvallis? How did that work out to start right as you were starting uh, after you left Oregon State? Well, we were we had met before, and my best friend, the guy that was our, my best man at my, our wedding, uh, went to the same fraternity that her brother went to. They were right across the street from her sorority. And so we knew each other, and she actually had a boyfriend for most of college, and so we didn't really get too deep into the friendship. But um, after I uh, came back, 
from Omaha and from my first off season, I was in Salem Kaiser that summer and I came back and she was single and we were at some football events and she was doing a fundraiser and asked me to sign some stuff and, and we just kind of hit it off and, and started dating. And then, you know, obviously there's, we went through instructional league right away, which is a couple months in Arizona. And then that first, for a while there, we had spent more time apart than we ever did together. But that first year in Augusta, I was gone for, you know, seven or eight months at a time. It was, it was hard on a, on a new relationship. But like I said, it was just, she knew what my dream was and she's been so supportive and I couldn't <laughs> ask for anything more from anybody. Yeah, that's, that'll build a, a relationship for sure. If you can stick through, you know, nine, nine pro seasons, that's, that's amazing. Um, speaking of Omaha, like you brought up, I've been listening back to a lot of the 2018 broadcasts and working on the documentary that kind of retells that uh, season, especially, but also kind of the history prior to that. Uh, and I just listened to the North Carolina game where they lose in the first game in Omaha and it, it brought me back and multiple people uh, evoked the 2006 team uh, right after that game because you know that's the that's the uh, kind of the inspiration well we got to do what the 2006 team did and they, they ultimately did accomplish that when you were on that 06 squad and, and you lost the first game in Omaha, what did that take to lose a game and then come back, win four straight, put yourself in a position to win a national championship? What does that take for a team to do that? It's hard to describe. It's something that I tried to describe to our players at Lewis and Clark now and, and everybody I come across, but there's a aspect to just knowing how to win and never giving in and knowing that whether it's a tie game or you're down by six or seven runs late, there's always that chance that you can win this game. And some teams have that, and other teams you just know the game's over. And that team just, it didn't matter what inning or who the opponent was or what was happening, you had this feeling that we were just going to win a game somehow. And I, I was a spectator most of that season. You know, I didn't pitch very much. I don't think I threw one inning in the Pac-10 that year. So I kind of saw it from a fan perspective for a lot of the year. It was just the, the team just absolutely refuses to give in, and, and no matter what the situation, you knew somebody in that lineup was going to find a way to make a play and give us a chance to win a game. Since you grew up in Oregon and knowing at least a little bit about Beaver baseball history, uh, what was that experience like then being a part of Beaver baseball history yourself winning two national championships? That was probably the most special thing. I grew up attending you know, Oregon State baseball games and and they were never, I mean, to be honest, never really that great. I think they'd been around the middle of the pack most of the time in the Pac-10 since it uh, kind of combined with the North and the South. And so going there, you know, I always had these, you know, thoughts, hey, that'd be cool to win a Pac-10 championship or something, but it didn't really seem all that realistic. And, and to ride that ride my freshman year with, you know, Jacoby and Andy Jenkins and those guys just – just taking that team to unbelievable heights and, and watching what it takes to really be, you know, a, a champion at that level. And I think that's what it was, was guys like that teaching younger guys like myself how to actually approach the game and how to how to attack every opponent, every practice, everything you do. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, that made those teams so special. And that's really what set it up for, for the 06 and 07 teams. And then to be a part of something – where it's a lot of Northwest guys in the state of Oregon is just so proud of everything you do. It was pretty unbelievable. And at the time, you know, I, I really had no idea just the magnitude of what we were doing. And, and the fact that today people will still remember 
all the players from those teams and, and, you know, I, those teams might be the very reason I have a coaching job today. You know, it's, it's, the reach is unbelievable because people still remember everything about those teams. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, a team that'll live on forever in Beaver baseball history and, and even beyond that. Since you, um, you know, grew up and watched Beaver baseball from the beginning of the Pat Casey era, maybe even before that, and then got to play for Pat, do you have a, a story about Pat that comes up most often that sticks with you, whether it be a, a really inspirational one that's, that stayed with you a long time that taught you a life lesson or more of a comedic one, a, a time of him getting fiery or intense or just uh, whatever, whatever stories that have kind of stuck with you the most. Do you have a good Pat Casey one? He was always fiery and intense, but uh, I still remember we were at a press conference after uh, the Cal, the UC Irvine game in Omaha and uh we kind of had a tradition before every game, we'd go out to this little man-made pond that had a whole bunch of bass and carp in it. And we'd throw out a line that we got from Bass Pro Shop and catch some fish in the morning and then go play in the afternoon. And uh, I started the game and Pat didn't know that I had gone out in the hundred degree heat that morning and, and caught a few fish with, you know, Mitch and a few other guys. <laughs> and in the press conference, somebody, there were reporters at the pond and after the game, somebody asked me about it, and Pat just gave me the look, and, and he's like, I had no idea that he did that, and <laughs> I was just, it was, I was lucky we won that game, because I just remember thinking, man, if I lost that game and he found that out, I might not have a spot on this team anymore. <laughs> wow, he would just be worried about the, the dehydration, just being out in the sun too long? Oh, yeah, he just, you know, we, we preached doing everything, uh, everything you do like a champion, whether it's you know, the way you play the game or the way you prepare, the way you sleep the night before, the way you eat breakfast in the morning. And uh, and honestly, I didn't really do that. You know, going fishing in that heat before you go out and pitch a big game like that's probably not the best idea. But it was superstition, and it had gotten us to that point. And, and uh, it, it worked one more time, so I'm glad it worked out because otherwise it would be a, a lot crazier of a story, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, last thing or two for you, Daniels, I like to always kind of end with, um, you know, a kind of a broader note on, on personal growth and the life lessons you've learned since Oregon State. If you think back to the type of person that you were, let's say 2007, when your Oregon State career ended and all, all the areas of growth you've had personally and professionally since then, uh, what maybe advice would you give yourself from that era um, back then, the things that you've learned since then that maybe you didn't know now, didn't know then? I mean, uh, what stands out to you as something that, oh, I'm, I'm glad I've learned that since then. I would probably tell myself <laughs> this lesson, whatever it may be. What do you think? The biggest thing for me is, is academics. I unfortunately didn't finish my degree, like I said, and, and I had so much time to, to sit around and do nothing in minor league baseball. It's pretty unbelievable the amount of time you sit on a bus or a, uh, hotel couch or whatever, waiting around to do nothing. And I, I wish I would have taken that opportunity to, to get my degree and do something with it because um, there's just so much downtime. That's the one thing I always think about is how much time I could have had to do that. And I wish I could go back and tell myself, hey, just it's going to suck, but just get in there and do it. You know. But I think I, I've grown as a person unbelievably because of you know Pat and the Oregon State program. And then the years I played, I've matured 
a lot. And, you know, I think that that's the big thing that I always take away from it, though, is I wish I would have been more dedicated to stuff away from baseball, both in college and in professional baseball. Yeah. And what is the degree that you're getting now? So my degree will be in sociology. Hopefully, you know, like I said, I, I uh, to coach at a, at a higher level and be a full-time coach, uh, you need that degree and you need to teach classes. So hopefully that'll be something that, that I can fulfill here in the next year. Gotcha. Well, good luck finishing that degree and good luck going forward with Lewis and Clark. I hope you have a lot of opportunities to, to continue coaching and fulfill that passion. And um, thanks so much for chatting uh, and coming on the podcast. It's been a blast to, to talk with you, Daniel. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's really fun to talk with Daniel Turpin. You hear the names a lot of the 2006-2007 players on those baseball rosters and hear them still discussed amongst baseball fans, Oregon State fans, and to get to talk to another one of those championship members has been really fun. And cool to see the Lewis and Clark connection. I appreciate Ryan Goff's effort to uh, connect me with some former Oregon State student-athletes at Lewis and Clark, where he worked. Several connections there started with Jay Losey and then Shauna Felt and Daniel Turpin. And um, so that's been cool to, to see that little pipeline there between Oregon State and Lewis and Clark College. And cool to, uh, I'll use a little bit of what Daniel Turpin said in the baseball documentary I'm producing. Similar to 2006, the 2018 team lost their first game in Omaha, went on to win those four straight elimination games. And so I wanted to hear his perspective. What was the 2018 team going through when they lost their first one? You would know your team lost that first game in 2006. What did that take uh, to win those four straight elimination games? Hey, real quick before we finish out here today, I want to give a mention to Children's Garden. It's a little nonprofit organization in the Philippines. I, I know the, the married couple that basically operate this house house where about a dozen kids who were living on the street can get resources, they can live there, uh, go to school. Uh, oftentimes they stay there for five, ten years and go on to college. Um, it's a great opportunity for, for these kids um, to, to have a safe place to live in a great organization. It's a small organization and so your money goes a long way. So you can check them out at childrensgarden.ph. That's childrensgarden.ph. All right, thanks so much for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast and joining me into 2021. We've got Danae Phillips-Stanfield uh, later this week, former Oregon State gymnast who scored a perfect 10 in, in uh, uneven bars years ago in 1999. But the conversation goes a lot further than that. Um, so a good conversation with Danae Phillips-Stanfield coming up. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Have a great day, everybody, and go Beavs.